Thank you very much. Good morning, all. What, one more prayer, one quick prayer before we get into the word. Yesterday, um, I keep on forgetting the girl's name, Emerald. Emerald was admitted to hospital last night and still in the hospital now. What They're hoping to get out today, but they had to put a feeding tube and stuff down. So can we just stand and just lift? It's Atanasio and Sarah's little girl. Just lift your hands, lift her to the Lord. They're in hospital right now. Father, we pray for Emerald. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for the stripes you bore. Thank you for the healing that is available to her. And we stand in her place. And we receive that. We prophesy. We speak blessing upon them. We thank you for the hospital. Thank you for the doctors. But we pray that you will release her in fullness of health. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. I, I've been preaching nearly 30 years. Don't ask what age I am. But I've been preaching nearly 30 years. And you get used to it. You get used to the systems. God develops, just like God develops with the worship team, right? He'll develop a way of working with you. You become accustomed to that. And that's all right because you can have security. So I'm very accustomed with receiving a word for a church, right? Say a theme, and we do evangelism, or we do discipleship, or we do something. I'm very accustomed to themes. But I tell you this, folks, having done eight books and and TV series and everything else, listen to this, please, listen. I have never had this before, the supernatural increase thing. I'm, I'm on a year and a half now. And it makes, me theme, it makes me think, is this a theme, Lord? No. Well, what, what is it? <laughs> what is it? What is this? What's going on? What's happening? What is it about me that's so thick <laughs> that you're not getting through? I don't know what it is yet. But let me say this. A good God, amen, a good God is utterly determined to bless you. He is determined to bring you to a supernatural place. This is week number six. If you remember, the first week we looked at the difference in the natural and the supernatural. Remember? Very different things. We praise God for the natural and natural blessings. But Jesus said, greater things will you do. Greater things. And that's just not not more Christians, more numbers. I believe greater things should be seen. Like with um, uh, Moses and the snakes and the wizards and all that. Greater things should be happening with us. The second week, eyes forward, the second week we saw how a multitude of times in Scripture, when God came to do something supernatural, what was the problem? Stuff. Remember? It was either people between you and God, people have made themselves bigger in your life than God, can be family, can be leaders. They make themselves big and you start obeying people instead of following God, right? That stuff can be things. It's easy to love God when you haven't got nothing. Easy to love God when you're skint. A questionable motive there. But it's harder to love God when you're in the UK. You got your visa. You got your qualification. You got your house. You got your kids. You got your family. Um, It's harder to maintain your passion as time goes by. You can say amen there because it's true. And we looked... 
various years, with, with this, uh, various weeks, the sun in the air, the power assistance that's available to us, and the sacraments, which I'll look at again. But today, I want to do something... Oh, sorry. Need a little... Stephen, could you put three chairs up there for me? I just want to do a similar illustration. Yeah, facing forward. And could I have one more? Could someone help him, please? Just three chairs and one behind, a bit like we had the last time. Just three in front. Oop. Thank you. Thanks, David. Uh, one more. Don't worry, it'll all become apparent. You remember? Thank you, guys. Remember? Remember this scenario? God said when, he, when, when they built the tent, he said, this, see this tent, the, the, the tabernacle, this is an image of what actually exists in heaven. So when God says there's a throne in heaven, it's not a fairy story. There really is a throne in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And behind that is supposed to be our conscious awareness of where I am. And in Ephesians it says this, past tense, you have been seated with Christ. You have been past tense. That's you if you're born again this morning. You have been seated with Christ. Give me your full attention. Fight for attention, folks. Fight for it. Fight for it. Once you were blind, remember? You didn't know God. You had no consciousness of him. You were totally blind. But he took you, and one day you were blind, and suddenly, remember? Suddenly your eyes, that's what this is. Suddenly you were seated spiritually in a different place. Suddenly you say, oh, I believe in God now. This seating is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. You have been seated spiritually in the heavenly realms. That's important because you're a tripartite being. Spirit, soul, and body. And my body, right? My body doesn't feel like it's in heaven. Hello. Right? Doesn't look like it's in heaven. My soul, my feelings don't feel like I'm in heaven. No problem. That's okay. But what God wants you to get is that your spirit, that part of you which is born again, that part of you which is complete, that aspect of you is alive and kicking and well in the heavenlies. So why do we live out of our mind then? (laughs) Why am I trapped down here in my mind when I've got access to, to all of this? God help us today to change my mind. And to live from a higher place. What a tragedy, having been given this and then not access it. A very, very good author. Maybe you've read this book. I've read it several times. Watchman Nee wrote this book from prison, actually. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. Very, very good book. One of the first books I ever read as a believer. And very impactful on my life. His proposition, which I agree with in this book, is Sit, Walk, Stand. He says this, when he got saved, the leaders that he had taught him how to walk. (laughs) He went straight into discipleship. And when he got saved, they were teaching him how to be a leader. Go to the leadership class. When he got saved, they were teaching him how to stand against the devil. And he was going round in circles and round in circles. And ended up in prison for his faith and everything else. And as he took a little bit, he, whoa, 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 whoa. 
They were wrong. My leaders were wrong. They shouldn't, when I got saved, the first thing they should have done to me is not teach me how to walk. Not teach me how to serve. Going to teach you how to mop the floor and clean and, and serve on the worship team and, and, and blah. They, they shouldn't have started there. They started in the wrong place. They should have taught me to sit first. And all my life, and this is the great revelation he had, he suddenly realized, hang on a minute, like the prodigal son, the prodigal son comes home, let me serve, let me serve, let me sit down, son. Sit down. I need to fundamentally change that in you. Otherwise, you're going to work as a servant. You're going to serve all your days for my approval. And you don't need to. You're my son. So I need to change this in you. Sit. Walk. Stand. And I I mean, you look back on your life. As I look back on my life, it is true of me that the leaders... Mm -hmm who brought me down this road, yes, they were wrong, sincerely wrong. Because they themselves, coming from a Baptist tradition, which I came from, I'll explain more in a moment, this was not very high on their agenda. It's not how they lived, so how could they then pass it on to me? But in these last days, I want it to be how I live and how you live. Look at point one in your notes. I am saved. If you're born again here this morning... Everybody born again? Then say it out loud with me. I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Amen. Got a little bit better. <laughs> Eyes forward. Through no effort of your own. You gave no sweat for that. You did not work for that. You are not deserving of that. There is nothing in you, right, that was a contribution to that. You did not fight for that. You are saved, praise the Lord. But not because of yourself. The Bible puts it like this. I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that from God alone. Amen. So there's nothing in me, and I must not get distracted with this. There's nothing in me of any good. There never was, never will be. Stephen, please. Edgar, please. Just stand there and stand there. Stephen is going to represent mankind. Okay? So he is a sinner. You're all sinners. <laughs> Edgar is going to represent Jesus Christ. Doesn't he make a good Jesus? <laughs> Edgar's going to represent Jesus Christ. Stephen represents me. He represents you. And my coat represents sin, which has separated him from God. Can he enter heaven with this sin? No. So we got a problem. Jesus has no sin. God created man. Man fell. You know this. God, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. As you read and you study scripture, what can be done with this sin? So Jesus comes into the world. You know the story. He takes away the sin. He puts it upon himself. 
because you can't handle it. This is going to take you to hell forever. Jesus takes the sin. Down on your knees, please. He descends into hell. He pays the price for your sin. And this sin is cast off. But because he is pure and holy in and of himself, because he led a sinless life, the Holy Spirit reaches and raises him up. Hallelujah. And that debt is paid. Now, when Stephen was in sin, before this happened, could he go to heaven? No. And now the sin is removed. Can Stephen go to heaven? No. Now, there's the problem with this seat. No, it's not the cross alone. And there's the problem with this seat. Here, herein lies the issue, that concept. Stephen is now innocent, but not righteous. Okay? His sin has been removed. True. But righteousness is a positive term. And so two things happen at the cross and through the life of Jesus. Two imputations. The sin of Stephen and you was imputed on Christ. He died and paid the debt. He rose from the dead. Listen carefully. The second imputation is the righteousness that is in Christ is given to you. And you need both of these. Thank you, guys. You need both of these things, not just one. Now, I want you to understand that because if you don't understand it, you will never feel the... You're going to feel the need to have to earn it. Jesus lived, Jesus lived to fulfill the law. And that's where the righteousness comes from. He never did anything wrong. And that's where your justification comes from. Jesus died to pay for your sin. He was raised. And that's where your forgiveness comes from. Now, do not underestimate how important that you just totally and utterly are convinced of this. You need to be, because otherwise, if you spoke to the Apostle Paul, this is all he would talk about. He goes round and round this all the time, because he realized that the people he was dealing with were trying to, how can I put it, stir up a righteousness of their own. We are saved, and you will hear people preach it wrongly often. It's all about the cross. Well, it's not all about the cross. It's not all about the cross. Jesus, remember the scapegoats. Remember the two goats? Two goats. One lives and one dies. There's, there's two aspects to this. And the reason this is important is because you and I need to be convinced that we survive and live by a righteousness that's not my own. And until this is completely, you know, done in me and cooked in me, Finished in me, I'm going to be struggling all my life. So if you're born again, your sins have been forgiven. But don't get stuck in only that concept. The, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself has been given to you. And it's out of that that you live. Amen. Amen. Now you can say, I don't feel very righteous. <laughs> I don't feel very, there's your soul. That's your soul creeping in on you there. Be careful, right? I don't feel that, that way. It's, what's happened is it's a declaration. It's a fascinating study. study we're doing with Mary's at the moment, actually, on declarations and how declarations work. Those of you who are married, uh, you were married yesterday, right? 
because you're married today. You were married last week, right? You were married the week before. You were married since whenever you got married. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good comparison because even when you're having a bad day, you're still married. You're still married. You're still married. So you might not feel married. You might not feel good, but guess what? You're married. And that's because, what was the last marriage we did here? Atanasio and Sarah. Fascinating thing. Two single people. Two single people. Now look, look at the power of a declaration. What changed? They stand here, sign a little bit. Yeah, go sign, sign a piece of paper. Normally like this. They sign a piece of paper. And I now pronounce you man and wife. Boom. What changed? Declaration. Or you go to a court and someone's in the dock and, and the judge comes out and it, should, it could go either way. And a simple declaration, see the power of it. A simple declaration from that judge, guilty, down they go. Or innocent, powerful. So you have been declared justified, amen, because of Christ. Consider it a declaration, because it is. The Apostle Paul, again, goes into this in, in, in great detail. The legalities of this, just like with a marriage, the legalities are important. Not just the feelings, but the legalities. And God has done a, a one good job on your salvation. You have been declared righteous, declared justified, and fully and thoroughly saved. He doesn't half save you but thoroughly saves you. And I pray that we live out of that. Say it again with me. I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Secondly, I am seated. Oh, Jesus. When, when I began the gym with, with, with Michael, who some of you have met, he drove me crazy. He's very strict. And w when we began, and he did quite a long, protracted assessment of me, weighing food, everything under the sun. And then he comes back with my plan. And my plan was focused on posture. Now, I thought, nothing wrong. I don't say nothing, you know. Posture, 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 what? Posture. So I'm going in, and I'm taking all this time. And I, he's doing, you do this. Walk, posture. You know, he's going on and on and on about posture. I didn't think he was right. I had my own mind, but I'm not a, prof a professional, right? So he said, your problem is your posture. Then I did a couple of gym sessions on my own, and I also went running twice, and I injured myself twice. Guess what my problem was with the injury? Posture. My posture. Both times that were serious, my posture was wrong. Edgar, sorry, come again, please. If you think, who is he this time? Oh, yeah, he's you this time, okay? <laughs> Change an identity. Just stand on one leg, please. Uh, up higher. Hi higher. <laughs> okay, you go. You see? So posture is not, 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 not important. See? No, 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 stay, stay, stay. Don't, don't let me push you over. I mean, it can't be that easy to push a Christian over, can it? <laughs> see? Up again. Up high. Okay, just the tiniest little thing. Thank, thank you very much. And down he goes. Tiniest little thing. Instability is not good. Instability is not good. And if you look at Christian histories, if you look at your history, my history, there can be instability there. That's a posture issue. Do you know what's very firm? A seat. 
It's very firm. Not easy to knock someone over, right? And, and if you can begin, which is Paul's point, Watchman Nee's point, if you can begin your Christian life from a secure, stable position, a seated position, then it's a lot harder for the devil to knock you over. Amen? Amen. So I agree, regrettably, I agree with Mike that my posture is critical. Someone sent me a video the other day. It was fascinating. It was about a fight, and they'd used it for illustrative purposes. And they showed this road rage fight between these two guys. And one guy just completely, he won everything. I mean, the guy had no chance. But the other fellow who lost the fight wouldn't give up. So he kept on coming back at him. So they played it like a one and a half minute clip. And then they redo it. But this time, they circle the posture. I thought, well, look at that. And the guy who won, he was trying to keep the peace. Listen, just no road rage. Just leave it. But as soon as this idiot would come, yeah, he would come like this with no balance. The winner immediately put his foot. Yeah. So the guy couldn't do anything, and they did it again and again, and I thought, there you go. You get your posture right, and the devil can't knock you over. Amen. It's a righteousness that is not my own. Let me say something. We're going to do church history with some of the leaders on Saturday. I was raised a Roman Catholic from a religious background. Some of you were in born-again churches, but they're still religious. They're just born again religious, but it's still religious. And if you look over, over history at this seat, my seat in heaven, the Roman Catholic Church would teach me, if I say to a priest, do I have a seat in heaven? The priest will say, well, maybe, maybe someday, you never know. If, if you're good enough, if your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, maybe you'll get a seat in heaven. So the Catholic Church, they say for your seat, maybe who knows? We just don't know. The reformers, after the Reformation in the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, if you ask a, Refo uh, a Reformation character, Richard Mather, one of those guys, they'll say yes. But you know what the trouble with the theology is? Eventually. Do I have a seat? I'm born again. Do oh, yes. Eventually you will take that place. And what we say is yes now. Amen. And I pray today that that now becomes a living reality for you. That you see yourself spiritually as you actually are and you truly are. God has given you this. He's given it to you. You've already got it, right? My coat is very busy today. Pat, I'd like to give you my coat. Right, so it doesn't represent sin now. It's okay. It's a good good. So there you are. It's yours. It's yours to keep. Okay? Nothing complicated. Now ask me. Say, Pastor, please give me your coat. Pastor, please give me your coat. What, what part did she not get? Okay. I'm, I'm a good father, so I'll give it to her again. It's okay. I've already given it to you. Ask me for Pastor, please give me your coat. So I'm a good father... So we're not going to go on like this. So what I'm actually going to do, I'm going to give you one more chance. I've already given it to you. I want to keep it. No. <laughs> please, please give me your coat. Ha. Huh. So do you know what happens from, from God? Silence. 
And she becomes a hero, by the way, of so-called faith. So Pat continues coming to the prayer meeting every week. She prays for 10 years. And people see her pray and they say, what are you praying for? You're so faithful. What are you praying for? And Pat says, I'm praying, Pastor Michael, give me his coat. I've been praying for 10 years. Oh, what a woman of faith. No, no, amen. You have already got it. And when you reach silence, I did a message here once. I could see people think this can't be. It is right. The importance of the silence of God. When you're hitting silence, something's wrong and it's not God. So when you're praying, either you're not ready or you're on the wrong road, something's wrong. But God largely, and this represents many Christian lives, their, their interaction with God, it's not two-way traffic. God's not talking back because you're stuck with something. You've already got it. Amen. We can look at it in weeks to come. But Paul says, you have been seated, past tense, in the heavenly realms. Secondly, he says, you have been blessed, Pat, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You have already got it. Say it, I've already got it. Already got it. it. You've already got it. And if you're going to waste time and energy trying to ask God to give you stuff, you are going to, number one, waste your time, right? But you're going to meet with eventual silence, and it's a waste of time. Look at the things, the promises, and they are manifold in Scripture that God affords you. Take your spiritual place in the heavenlies. I, I travel a lot more than you guys and visit churches all the time. Many, many different types of churches, and many churches are program-driven. They live off programs, and that becomes a problem because the focus becomes wrong. The focus becomes very seriously wrong. Eyes forward. Think of a problem you have right now. Just, just don't say it. Just think of it. Okay? You can go, you see, and attend a program. Say that problem was a marriage problem. Ten steps to solve your marriage problem. That's a program. They say it's a financial problem. 15 steps. Do you know the problem with programs, if we don't handle them right? They put the focus on you. The answer to every... It's inside. Actually, the answer is for me to see that I have already been blessed. Not so much inside. It's getting my position right. In Christ Jesus... Everything is available to me. And modern psychology and churches have fallen for this trap. Put it that you can do all things. Your best life can be tomorrow if you, you, you. No, no, no. Excuse me. We have a Christ here. We have a Savior here. Did you get that point? So your your answer, your solution is in God. And don't be fooled with it being anywhere else careful what I say now you know something about my life but you don't know everything and I had a series of severe problems uh, a couple of years ago there and I thank God for this understanding because at certain points in your life theology can save your soul friend and the battle was so strong the battle was so fierce in my life do you know what I did (laughs) I just took my seat the storm. Storm is raging. Devil's having a feast. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just have a little <coughs> snooze. Excuse me a moment. 
I'm just going to rest in my place in God. I'm just going to rest and watch what God does. If I'm not careful, culture, different types of you know, uh, practice in churches can teach me quite the opposite. But Jesus said, my peace I give you. My rest I give you. But if I'm convinced that I can do it myself, if I've been taught that I've got it all within myself, there's a problem here. And you're going to be chasing the wind on this for the rest of your life. In your marriage, take a seat. With your finances, take the seat. With your career, take the seat. And let the Lord, who's a lot better at this than we are, sort that out for you. Your problem, like my problem, it's my position. It's not being seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Do you know Charles Stanley? Andy Stanley's father. Really liked Charles Stanley. I used to distribute his MP3 for him in Scotland. Charles Stanley is one of the best preachers I've ever heard. I think he's magnificent. He's not a Pentecostal, by the way. He's an evangelical, but he's an excellent preacher. And Stanley, when he first began in ministry, he had no ability to communicate. But also, he had no ability to follow notes. So in the first few sessions, and this is his wonderful testimony, he says he'd be hiding behind the the screen, waiting for them to invite him out, and his notes would be upside down, and he'd be all of a kafuddle. And he made a decision. He said, a day came when I couldn't fulfill the thing that God, I knew God wanted me to do it, but not this way. I couldn't do it. So he said, a day came when I said this. Do you know what? See these notes? Bang. No more notes. And he stepped out in faith with his Bible, and he said, my mouth started, and he hasn't stopped since. (laughs) My mouth started to talk. And suddenly, very simple. He had gone from human achievement to actually taking his seat. And from that day to this, that man has been in rest. Hallelujah. So whatever issue, whatever problem you face, please, today, I am saved. But I am also seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And view your problems, whatever they may be, view them from that place. And thirdly, lastly, I am set. Let's read this. Look, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, your life appears, you will also appear with him. Oh, Jesus. Eyes forward. I'm going to conclude with this, but it's a very important point because many of you have been in churches a long time. When I was a lost man, I would walk up and down Cowbridge Road in Cardiff past a Baptist church. Remember I was saying, because I didn't have the confidence to go inside. I was frightened of the church, like Solomon's colonnade. And then my desperation to be saved, one day I summed up enough courage to step inside the church. The scary doormen, you know, hello, Baptists. And they took me in. And on my first few, I'm sitting at the back. And this was my concept. I'm going to hide at the back, but at least I'm in the building. And then some sincerely wrong but very good people took a hold of me. And you know what they did to me? 
made me a disciple. <laughs> they taught me the Bible. They taught me everything except this. And do you know where I ended up? I ended up here. I ended up on the front row. Amazing. And do you know the trouble with this? It's a lie. That's the trouble with it. It's all totally human fake. Because if anyone thinks that they deserve to sit on the front row, that person is totally doolally tap. That's a, a Welsh saying for you. You're completely crazy. Do you know why? Because you have no righteousness. You have no righteousness. So I must never let it seem as if I do. And if anything in me wants to, I need to deal with that, that's the opposite of taking my seat. That's trying to earn something, approval. There's a sonship problem going on here. Do you know, Paul is the most incredible character, don't you think? 13 books of the New Testament. Amazing life. Was Paul righteous? <laughs> no. Not righteous at all. And remember Stephen. I love Pastor Stephen. Hard not to love Pastor Stephen. When Stephen was in here on Wednesday nights, if any of you came to the meetings, like say Stephen was going to introduce Pat. I used to laugh. I used to laugh every week. He knew I laughed. So this is not a story out of school. I used to love Stephen's introductions because they were funny. Remember? Pastor Stephen, he was, it, like say, say Pat was preaching. Stephen would say, and now I'm going to invite the preacher. And he would go, oh, Lord. Oh, tonight. We have in the house. Yes, in the house tonight. And I would just start laughing. And he would, he, by the time she stood up, he would have said so many good things about her. That it's unbelievable. And that's why I'm laughing. Because it's not true of you. You have absolutely no righteousness and I used to say to Steve and I say to other pastors who I know do this would you mind not airing my dirty linen in public I mean how would you feel if I came here today and this was this was your this was your cloth from your house and I said this is this is David's everybody this is, you know, if I, if I, if, David, if I stand here and I say, you're a mighty man of God, this is what I'm doing. Your good deeds are like filthy rags. So why on earth would any Christian sit in your seat while someone describes your filth? You are totally deluded. Do you get that? Your good deeds in the eyes of God are like filthy rags. So let's go through Evelyn's filthy rags. And you can sit there and people can say nice things about you. If you do that. Now tell me, can I go from that position and then take this into this seat? No! You should never tolerate someone telling those lies. Hello? If you dared to tell Paul about his qualifications, what did he call it? Dung. Dung. I sat in a meeting not long ago with a group of leaders, and the first thing one person wanted to say was their qualification. First thing. First, they were desperate that everybody know who they are and what I've got, and etc. It was they were bursting for it. That's approval, friends. What am I wearing this for? I mean, 
So my advice to you, I regret my entry to the kingdom because the first thing they did was train me to be a leader, bring me to be a leader, and then they put me in this seat. That's where my seat belongs. And that's where your seat belongs. Because you have got no righteousness of your own. Absolutely none. Please listen. The person who is convinced of this, do you know what they do? They take a seat. Because they've got no other hope. I've got nothing. I I can't do it. And instead, do you know... Listen, guys, see when I sit there, do you know what the focus on? Me. And in your seat or your image in this church, the focus can be on you. But when I sit here, guess what the focus is on? My life is hidden with Christ in God. And I pray that what, what in everything you do, that you make it your ambition that Christ be seen and that the reality of who you are, you get a grip on that, okay? Remember what I said on camp. If you took probably the most significant person of, of history, Apostle Paul, for example, how much different is Paul to Adolf Hitler? Not a lot. Not a lot. A little bit here, but not a lot. And it, they, you know, human depravity is this big, and the good we do, or the, 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 only a tiny little thing. I was thinking this week, during life and in church, do you know what we think about? How good Christians are. Is this person good? This person's good. That person's not good. This person's better than that. Or you can in your mind subliminally think, this is a good Christian, that's a good Christian, this is a bad blah, blah, blah. You can judge people. Do you know what? If Christ appeared in the sky this afternoon, we wouldn't be thinking about who's a good Christian and who's a bad Christian. Do you know what we'd be thinking about? Who's a Christian? (laughs) Right? Amen? You would not be, you would be, appraisals would just disappear in a split second. And the only thing that would matter is, am I saved? Yes. Then I'm his and I'm hidden behind Christ. And all this fallacy of our positions or titles or superiority in the kingdom would just disappear. Hallelujah. If you're saved, you have automatically been seated in the heavenly realms. And you pray for yourself today. Father, from this moment forward, May I see my life like this. May I see my problems from a higher perspective. Book of Ephesians. We fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And we fight from this high place, this high seat of heaven. From there you will win. From there you will have victory. Can I have the worship team back? Sorry, I'll just, could you help me guys get this? I want to, if you guys could sing for us again. Going back to the heart of worship, um, thank you. Thank you.
Thanks, guys. Just stay with me one, stay with me one moment, okay? Last night, Jesus, last night I was preaching in South London to North African church. And we were doing similar, different message, but similar thing. And I had the seats also. And as I began to talk about being made a leader, the pastor of that church began to cry. And he began to cry quite loudly. So he was quite disturbing the meeting. Not, not, it wasn't a problem. But people were looking at him. And just towards the end of the message, he just couldn't stand it anymore. And he got up. And he sat down on the seat. And he just, he, he, he forgot everybody was in the room. It was beautiful. And he just started to cry. And no, he didn't need to explain what was happening to him. What was happening to him was... All my life I've worked for the approval of God or the members. It's the truth about me. And my, all my life I've tried to portray myself as someone with, who was righteous. And today I realize I have no righteousness. And I want to take my seat and be nothing. And we finished the meeting, but he didn't finish. He went over to the wall, singing to the wall, because he had forgotten about everybody and the way he looked. And he started to sing and sing I had to go because we had problems last night. And I just left him in the, in the wall singing out to God, going back to the heart of worship. Not about him, but realizing his righteousness was in Christ alone. Praise the Lord. He texted me. He texted me late last night. This is a mature minister of standing. And he just said, amazing, amazing. And all that's happened to him is for the first time in his life, he's realized his filthy rag and the glory of God. And he's no longer thinking about good Christian, bad Christian. He's thinking about Christian who loves the Lord. This is a great church. This is a great team. Let's go back to the heart of worship, which is all about him. stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. 
you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you I'm sorry not for the things that made it And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus Thank you, Jesus Stand with me one moment. I want you to visualize yourself taking your place in the heavens, taking your seat that God has bought for you, that Christ has bought for you. I want you to take that perspective over your marriage, your finance, your career. Take your seat. Take your seat. Every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Raise no what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart Come on Worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made, and it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. 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 Looking 
into my heart, into my heart. I begin into my heart, into my Church, even as we hear from God, even as He speaks to us, if there's anybody who wants to come forward, pray at the altar, please feel free to do so. We have a few more minutes before we finish. So even as the worship team continues to sing this song, and I pray, I encourage everyone to just open your heart to the Lord. See what He's saying. It's not about just listening and walking away every single time. It's about doing something. It's about setting our hearts right. It's about sitting at the place where he's called us to sit. So I'd invite you to come forward if you would want to. If not, just stand where you are. Continue to sing, continue to pray, continue to open your heart to God. Back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus 